0: So, um, our reading this evening is from the book of Acts, and it's chapter 8, starting at verse 26, and going on to the end. And for those of you using the Church Bible, that's on page 1101. <clears throat> now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the sherry of the Kandake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azatus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, uh,
1: Victoria. If you hear the odd yelp, it sounds like it's the young people having a great time in the back. Um, yeah, we, we're in this series at the moment, thinking about speaking about um, uh, and witnessing it to Jesus. And and um, a couple of years ago, there was a, there was an article in um, a newspaper, and, it, and actually with an interview uh, with Jeremy Vine. Jeremy Vine is a, a news presenter, and uh, it was an article. Um, uh, and it, he, he talked about his, his faith and his commitment, um, to Christianity. And he, he said in that interview, he said that, um, the, the actual article was entitled, Why I'm Scared to Talk About Christianity on Air. That was, why I'm scared about talking about Christianity on Air. And he said, society has become increasingly intolerant of the freedom to express religious views. And it's almost socially unacceptable to say you believe in God. I don't know um, what you think of that and how you feel about that and and whether that's your experience or not, but I wonder um, whether you have been scared of talking about um, your Christian faith, if there's a context where you've been scared. And I wonder... Uh, why that might be. I think that's certainly an experience I have had as well in the past of being uh, frightened and not wanting to speak or, about my faith. Um, John Stott is a, a writer and a, a, a minister, and he recalls his own personal experience of this in a book called Our Guilty Silence. Our Guilty Silence. Uh, And he recalls a time when he was on a sleeper train, and he found he was sharing a cabin with a a young man. And uh, he says, and I quote, he says, "'In the morning, while I'm preparing to wash, uh, "'the young man accidentally dropped his wash bag "'and vented his annoyance by taking the Lord's name in vain. "'I said nothing. "'Indeed, I was sorely tempted to remain silent.'" the usual plausible excuses came crowding into my head. It's none of your business. You're not responsible for him. He'll only laugh at you anyway. And he goes on to say, an inner struggle followed. As I argued with myself and I prayed until at least 10 or 15 minutes later did I find the courage to speak. Although his immediate reaction was unfavorable, I was able to say something of Christ that he had blasphemed. I'm sure we've all experienced that inner struggle, that inner struggle, um, repeated many times in our our life, to struggle to speak of Jesus. And sometimes we're left, what uh, is this guilty silence that we sometimes feel? As we think about that, let's... um, Come to the Lord, asking him to help us in this task of speaking of Jesus, for we need him. So, Father, we do pray um, that that we wouldn't feel guilty. We pray that we'd know the freedom that comes from knowing you. And as we know that freedom, we'll be free to speak of you. Uh, Wherever you might lead us, wherever you might prompt us to go, that we'd be available to you. To speak of your love, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're looking at this Ethiopian and the, and uh, Philip. You might like to have that passage open in front of you. And the first thing I'd like us to, to notice is just how unlikely the convert is uh, in the Ethiopian, and how, on the other hand, how leadable um, Philip is. How leadable Philip is. So up in this to this point. Acts, uh, in Acts, um, the the growth of the church has been quite localized. um, But now, because of persecution, it's it's expanded. And right at the beginning of chapter one, it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And the heart of uh, this expansion, uh, at the heart of it, was a man called Philip. And he went to Samaria which was kind of like a halfway house between the the Jewish people and the rest of the world. And verse 5 tells us that Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. And there was great joy, verse 8, in that city. And so you hear all about that in the first half of chapter 8. That's the context of what's going on. So there's great work being done in that area. And then we read suddenly about Philip and the Ethiopian, a story that can't help but capture our imagination. I think it's one of my favorite stories in Acts. And um, there are many different aspects of it, I think, that stand out to us and can encourage us and help us as we proclaim Christ. And the first is that just how unlikely a convert uh, the Ethiopian is. But it is through the supernatural work of the Lord himself uh, and not through all our kind of human planning. That's what we see here. So he's an unlikely candidate. And it reminded me, um, when I was at university, at Aberdeen University, um, I was in a corridor in my first year um, with a, a, a chap who was considered... I think I considered in my own heart the most unlikely convert that would have been. He was two doors away from me, and um, he was a serious beer drinker, serious womanizer, but he was a sensational footballer. I remember how good he was at football. And, uh, and yet, um, he became a Christian, and he was completely changed and i have to say it wasn't anything i wasn't particularly used in that situation it was through some other friends that he came to christ but it was just a real wake up call to me personally to to be reminded that no one is beyond um, the work of christ uh, and what makes this ethiopian an even more unlikely convert is what we see in verse 27 he's gone uh, he's come uh, from Ethiopia uh, to worship God. It's 500 miles away. Uh, and, you know, this wasn't the, the the age of fast cars. It wasn't the age of mass media. Uh, and yet, out of the thousands of people that need to hear Christ, the Lord is in his sovereignty. He set his sight on this African man and sends his angel to instruct Philip to instruct Philip in verse 26 to go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And you can imagine Philip sort of hearing this and saying, go where? Look, there's all this great work going on, you know, where I am. People are coming to faith and you want me to go to a a road south towards Gaza? There's nothing there except desert. It seems like such an unlikely place to go. But that's where the Lord wants him to go. And Philip is obedient and he goes. He receives further supernatural guidance from the Spirit in verse 29. And he says, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Um, Still, Philip is in the dark as to why. We have no indication here about why he's he's doing this. He's, He's just being obedient, isn't he? He's just being obedient. Now, it, it, it does um, strike me as a strange and bizarre request. I'm sure it probably does as you read it. He's effectively saying, you know, go run alongside the chariot. <laughs> and um, I don't really suggest that, you know, moving car evangelism is a, is a strategy that we should particularly take up. But bizarre as it may seem to us, we do get a sense of the Spirit's timing And direction here, don't we? The spirit is moving here. And at that very moment, as Philip is probably wondering what on earth are we being asked to do here, um, he suddenly hears the words of the prophet Isaiah and he goes, ah, and he sees the Lord is giving him an opportunity to speak to this Ethiopian. And, you know, not only is he reading Isaiah, he just happens to be reading Isaiah 53 of all passages. One of the most famous passages about the Messiah, as it says in verse 32, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. It's talking about the servant who is Christ. And as a lamb before the shearer, his silence, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? And so is only at that point, does Philip understand why the Lord has dragged him all the way from you know where he's seemingly doing great work, good work, to this random chariot to speak to some random queen's treasurer? The Lord's bringing the most unlikely converts to faith through an, a, a, a leadable servant. And, and you know, it, this Ethiopian, he, he isn't a Jew. He he, he's described also as a a eunuch as well. In other words, he was sexually impotent. Both these facts, you see, would have made him uh, an outsider. And yet God wants to reach the unseemingly reachable. Philip is breaking all those kind of social taboos. What a challenge that is, isn't it? All the boundaries that the gospel breaks down, one after the other. Amazing. The Ethiopian asks Philip to tell him who the prophet Isaiah is talking about. What an opportunity. We don't always get that clear an opportunity, it's true. And Philip began from that very passage, doesn't he? And he explains the gospel, the good news of Jesus. You can imagine what that one-to-one Bible study might have been like as he sat there explaining that it was Christ who was the sheep who was led to the slaughter, who died in our place, who took upon himself uh, the the penalty for our sin and then rose again to new life. He talked about Jesus Christ. And that's really very important, isn't it, when we witness? It's to speak of Jesus. I always remember my minister when I was... Um, Uh, beginning to think about um, doing this sort of thing. He always said, um, you know, and he said from the pulpit, uh, stop prattling around and talk about Jesus. (laughs) He was a very straight-talking Yorkshireman, and uh, I like that about him. Because, you know, we get so sidetracked onto all sorts of things. You know, we get sidetracked onto things like peripheral issues, important issues. It might be like creation or evolution, the church churchianity, politics, all sorts of things, interesting things, but not the main thing. So we need to start pratting around and we need to talk about Jesus. Um, The other thing to notice is that Philip starts where the Ethiopian is at, it's in Isaiah 53, and he gives him an explanation from that passage. So we have the most unlikely convert and a man who is leadable, And so we need to ask ourselves, I suppose the challenge to us is, who do we see as unlikely people that we are perhaps not speaking about Jesus? And are we leadable, like Philip? Are you leadable in this? And so that the Ethiopian believes, he's wonderfully baptized there and then. We shouldn't hold back if we believe, if you and we trust in Jesus, then we should be baptised. That's what it says. Don't hold back if that's you, if you need to be baptised. There's my little plug to get baptised. So we briefly looked at the story as a whole. Um, but what's the point of the story for us this evening? How can we learn from this further? I think the first thing I want to say is that the Lord is the one who leads. Okay. In, as we seek to speak. The Lord is the one who leads. This is really very, very important for us. Um, there are many practical, useful things that can aid our speaking out. There can be courses, there can be sermon series, there can be plans, methods, techniques, all sorts of things. And we use a lot of them here at St. John. And they're great. But the, the underlying danger is that we, we think that we can, we can work it out uh, where we're to go and where we're to speak and how we're to speak um, and do it according to our own plans. But, you know, God, the Lord is the chief evangelist, isn't he? He is the one that leads. He's the sovereign one. Um, that, so we've got to be careful we don't try and make plans in our own strength, in our own imagination. Opportunity to speak uh, can come not only from good resourceful planning, we need to do that, I'm not denying that, but also it comes from listening and responding to the Spirit. As the Spirit prompts us, and as the Spirit leads us, puts people on our minds, puts situations in around us um, that we can't foresee and we can't understand, yet the door opens. Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip had no way of planning that decision, had he? No way. He had nothing from Scripture to say to do that, turn right at Hebron and go down south. The Spirit was leading him and he moved ahead of him. Are we allowing God to to lead us in that way, open to him, prompting us? in that way. The scripture in Acts keeps us from the mistake of believing that the only way God leads us is in being fruitful, in being fruitful is by our own reasoning and by our, by our own prayerful planning, of which those things are important. It demonstrates to us that God may lead us in extraordinary and supernatural ways. it um, doesn't mean to say he does it all the time, but we need to be open to that. Why has God put me here, or next to this person, or that person? Just be asking God that question wherever you find yourselves, and you'll be amazed how God opens up situations for you. Um, There's nothing in Scripture that teaches us that such extraordinary means are limited just to the early church. We should assume and be ready that God might lead us, and it may be in some unconventional ways, I'm not saying that each of us are going to find ourselves running alongside a carriage. <laughs> and you might be sitting there thinking, some of us might be sitting there thinking, "Well, hang on a minute. Eddie, surely that does that undermine some way the unique and authority and infallibility and sufficiency of the Bible? Doesn't such extraordinary spirit-led guidance undermine the scriptures? Well, no, it doesn't. Of course, scripture is the first and primary way that the Lord speaks to us, isn't it? And it contains all things necessary for our salvation, because that is the salvation that we are going to explain to people, isn't it, and speak of. It disciples us, it encourages us, it corrects us, it trains us. It does all sorts of things for us. The scriptures are authoritative. And of course then they become the way in which we test uh, anything uh, and assess extraordinary kinds of guidance as well. As 1 John 4 1 says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So the Bible never rules out this kind of special guidance. Um, It doesn't say it's going to happen all the time. But let's be open to where God is prompting us and leading us. Uh, The Bible actually illustrates it, doesn't it? And advocates it and regulates it. So let's be open to the work of the Spirit prompting us as we seek to speak of Jesus the Lord is the one that leads us. And then um, the other thing I think this passage helps us in terms of speaking is just the unpredictability of the Lord. You know, if you think you can predict necessarily who is going to be it comes back to that point of who's going to become <laughs> who's going to you're going to witness to. Don't you don't know necessarily. So go into that the world thinking the Lord will will show you. But it's unpredictable. Um, Verse 39, if you look at that with me. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Aestos and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And you think to yourself, at that very point of, of... the Ethiopians' greatest pastoral need of discipling. You think, hang on a minute, Lord, what are you doing? You're just now whipping him away, and he's going back to, to um, Caesarea, snatched away. How unpredictable that is, isn't it? Don't you think? I think that's, you know, my natural reaction is, and what I was always taught, is to set up a follow-up course, You know, train them in the Christianity discipleship explored. You know, get them into an eight-week course, and uh, away we go. And of course, that's important, isn't it? But we may not be the ones to do it. That's the point, isn't it? It may not be us to do it. What does this tell us? Well, it tells us that Philip was completely confident in God doesn't it? it? Philip's completely confident in God, that God could look after those who are saved. Sometimes our problem is we have, is that sometimes we behave as if we're the Messiah, um, and that they they won't, this person who, who's come to, to faith won't continue to be saved unless I uh, stay with them and I'm the one that disciples them. And yet, that's not the case here, is it? Philip was absolutely confident that the Lord would be with the Ethiopian. He trusted God with the Ethiopian. He doesn't entrust him to himself. Of course, that doesn't mean we. It does not mean we should be into some sort of hit and run kind of evangelism and witness. And you know, bye bye, witness to you and away. No, um, that isn't really what I'm saying. Um, the issue here is trusting in the sovereignty of God. If you like, Philip, Philip was the, the midwife, so to speak, but he wasn't to be the mother to every Christian, uh, new Christian, baby Christian. You see, we see God's unpredictability here in this. And the prompting of the Spirit will mean life is rather unpredictable as we make ourselves available. That's the key, isn't it? It's being available to God leading us as we seek to speak of him. And Jesus said that would be the case, wouldn't he, in John 3.8. He said that would be the case with the Spirit. John 3.8 says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So are we ready for that? Are we open to it? So I hope we are. Pray that we are. Pray that I am. And as I was thinking about this, a way to end. I just I came across this story again from this book. It's a bit of an old book now, but it's a fantastic book. It's, it's called Out of, the, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, Everyday Evangelism, A Way of Life if you haven't read it, do read it. And it's by a lady called Becky Manley pippet And I just want to read a bit from it. I was just wowed by this, this story. And it doesn't mean to say that this is going to be how it is for each of us, but it's about availability and about that prompting in the way that the Lord works and is up at, he is at work and having confidence that he is at work in the places that we go. So this is, the, this is the story from her book. She's, she's called Becky, the, the writer. She says, several months ago, I called a friend, Adele, and asked her if she knew of a hair salon near my home. She suggested a place she'd heard of. I went, and a beautiful woman introduced herself as Meg and Meg told me she'd be the one cutting my hair that day. As we chatted, I asked Meg to tell me about her family. In doing so, she casually mentioned that she had a brother who was a born-again Christian. Several minutes later, she said he was also an avid reader. I didn't say anything then, but a few appointments later... Having already told her I was a Christian, I mentioned that I had written a few things that people um, a few things that perhaps he might have read. She said um, she'd make sure she asked him the next time they spoke on the phone. When I came in from my next hair appointment, Meg, Meg said, "My brother was over the moon that I, ha- I am doing your hair." He read Out of the Salt Shaker 10 years ago. And he said it really changed his life. Isn't that an amazing coincidence? That he had read something that you wrote, she asked. About one month later, I was at the front desk paying Meg, I was paying Meg, when one of the hairstylers nudged her, saying she should tell me something. I looked puzzled at Meg and said, well, I didn't tell you this before because I was afraid it might make you feel uncomfortable. But remember I told my brother that I was doing your hair. After I told him, there was this long pause of silence on the phone. Then he said that all those years after reading your book, What struck him was the feeling that someone with a personality like you would be able to help me find God. So he knelt down and prayed and asked God to please send someone like Becky into my life. Then he said, Meg, ten years ago, I asked God to send someone like Becky into your life. I didn't ask him to send Becky herself. Then he sort of choked up. I stood there looking at Meg, whom I have come to genuinely love. And I could hardly hold back the tears myself. Then Meg said, I didn't tell you because I didn't want you to feel, well, funny. You know, about the pressure of having to help me find God. (laughs) Then we all burst into laughter. But as I got into my car, I couldn't help thinking, how does God do this? From the outside, it all looked so casual and haphazard. I asked Adele if she knew of a hairdresser, and she casually mentioned a place. I didn't even ask for a specific name when I called. I just happened to get the person who was free at the time, who just happened to have been the recipient of her brother's prayer. Ten years ago, what a brother, what a God. That is the kind of God we have. Are we going to be available to that kind of God? Let's pray. God our Father, we thank you for this wonderful word from the scriptures about about Philip being available to you and to your leading. And we pray that we would too be leadable and we pray that we would be ready to see the opportunities that you give us, that we might just tentatively start to speak of you. Just give us that that nudge, that sense of your spirit leading us that we may discover for ourselves that you are a great God, that you go before us, that you are the one who leads. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.